Hello, and welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 165. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I'm Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're discussing the original series' second season episodes, Obsession, Wolf in the Fold, and The Trouble with Triples. Here we go. Obsession, Season 2, Episode 13, Production Code 047, Original Air Date, December 15, 1967, Directed by Ralph Sininski, Written by Art Wallace, Music Composed by Saul Kaplan, Guest Cast Include Majel Barrett as Nurse Christine Chapel, Stephen Brooks as Ensign Garovic, Jerry Ayers as Ensign Rizzo, Eddie Paskey as Lieutenant Leslie, William Blackburn as Lieutenant Hadley, and Frank Da Vinci as Security Guard. <laughs> The Enterprise has sent a landing team to the planet to search for trienium deposits. While surveying, Captain Kirk notices a sweet honey smell and has his men go on alert. He tells them to scan for dichronium and immediately fire at anything that looks like a gaseous cloud. The landing party fans out to explore. One group picks up a signal but loses it, at which point they are attacked. Kirk and Science Officer Spock rush over to the scene, finding three crewmen down, two dead, and the other, Ensign Rizzo, near death. I delayed firing. And if you hadn't delayed firing? Hmm. No difference, Edson. No weapon known would have made any difference. Then, or 11 years ago. Obsession. This is one of those episodes... Um, now, I think it's above average. I think it's a pretty solid episode. But I didn't think that for many years. Like, I, I thought it was more of an average episode. And then, <laughs> this is something that isn't really going to happen anymore. Gosh, I don't remember which one it was. But there was a... Do you remember, like, in the 90s? Maybe it was the early 2000s, somewhere around in there. Before before Star Trek was being put out on DVD in those seasonal box sets, for a while, they would release... Like, nobody wanted to buy the entire series on VHS, because it was like one episode on a tape. It was so expensive. Some people did it, of course, but I certainly did not. But they would what they would do is they would put out like like a, a set of two or three or four themed episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there was a there was a, a set I think it was like Captains the Captains or something. And it was it was like a, there were four tapes, um, original series, next gen DS9 Voyager, and each one was like put together so that they made like a square and it had like a top <laughs> mm-hmm. anyway the, the original series one was obsession and i remember picking that up and watching obsession like a few times because i had it now i had it on tape and growing to love it in a way that i hadn't before and seeing it f- as a much better episode than i'd remembered it and obviously other people thought that or they wouldn't have included in in this captain's collection mm-hmm. but it, but it still holds up in that same way for me and i found myself enjoying it for these new ish or reasons steve what are what are your some of your first thoughts here with obsession yeah i i quite like this episode i mean i i always remembered it i remembered how i mean you know i early on you think things like why doesn't he just give them a proper briefing instead of like you know cold this all in but obviously he's uh recalled this uh, experience from his past and is is reticent to talk about what he what he feels is a, f- a failure on his part and so he's you know he obviously the the title of the episode is perfect and and then i mean it's it's 
It's, it's one of these that's a little hard to <laughs> nail down exactly why you feel good about it, but it's very well balanced. I mean, you have a story where you, you get some insight into the into Kirk's history, which is, you know, you don't get a lot of that kind of thing, you know, I mean, where it really is something that matters and it's an emotional thing. And then you have to, and he actually advances as a character throughout it because because of the experience, all that's positive. And you, get, and you also have a lot of um, interactions uh, with other characters that are good, you know, of course, McCoy, Spock, um, and Scotty, and all these moments that, that feel like, it, it feels very, it feels very Star Trek, because all the characters are just so them, and plus all this development with Kirk, and, and, um, and there's some good action, and uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's a very well-balanced, got a lot of stuff going for it, I think. I thought it was interesting that uh, Garavik does not die right that 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 is one of the things that leaves you with a much more kind of pleasing sense about it i mean yeah there are a bunch of there are several red shirts that that do die Mm -hmm. uh, in pretty uh, horrific ways i suppose but garavik does not and that's one of those positive things that that makes it feel a little different Mm -hmm. because i think that you feel that expectation just based on other original series episodes because even though we never see him again we do feel like you can imagine that character going on and developing and you know whatever yeah. happens to him and so it feels more like a, a lived-in thing than just which typically only happens with the the prominent characters of course the main character. it also gives kirk a little bit um he isn't actively trying to uh, protect or save garavik obviously otherwise he wouldn't have let him come down with him at the end there yeah but it gives him a little bit of closure too mm-hmm. you know uh, redemption for for you know what happened to garavik's uh, father uh, adam what what are your first thoughts on obsession <laughs> i didn't like it that much to be honest <laughs> awesome i love it when we disagree <laughs> um for a couple of reasons um first of all wait wait did you, have you always felt that way about it, or is this a new feeling? Um, I don't think I really remember the episode that okay. well. Okay, all right, so go ahead. So I didn't have a feeling about it one way or the other going into it. To me, the whole episode felt forced. Um, and what I mean by that, um, these might be little things, but there are a lot of little things in this episode that make me feel like it's just forced. For one, the need for them to get out of there so quickly, you know, to meet the Yorktown... So they can pick up drugs from the Yorktown to take them to another planet. Um, why can't the Yorktown just take them? It was what the first, I'm like, what? So if it's so imperative for them to stay there and find this creature that nobody can seem to find, I just didn't understand why they made all these choices where it was kind of like, well, nobody knows about this creature but Kirk. Um, they have to get out of there because they have to get drugs that are going to expire. I mean, just a lot of it, I don't know. I just didn't, I just guess I just didn't like it. A lot of these little things just kind of just took me out of the episode. Um, Kirk ended up getting, actually getting a lot of people killed in this episode, and there was no real repercussion for that. Um, it kind of felt like Moby Dick with no payoff. Um, I don't know. I just didn't really care for it. I think in um, Roddenberry's, you know, like he would he would just jot down like a sentence or something. Uh, it's just little ideas that some other writer would flesh out. And that was, uh, this episode did come from his note of something to do with Moby Dick a, a year before the script was written. But Yeah, but in Moby Dick, everybody knew who they were after. Um, so I didn't understand why they made the choice to kind of make this creature so mysterious and unseen 
by everybody. It just kind of, I don't know. I felt like it, like I said, it just kind of felt pointless that, okay. Hey, well, that's the difference to me though is so there's, instead of just Moby Dick, there is this element of, of a mystery, you know, it, I mean, at first it's, it's, uh, but it's not a mystery to anybody, but cause the audience knows. Well, it's a mystery Kirk to knows. everybody besides Kirk and the audience. Okay. Because yeah. the audience knows the cl- knows the cloud is there. The audience knows that it killed crew members. Um, they saw it. They got to see it in the opening. So it's not a mystery to the viewer. It's just a mystery to the crew. So I, d- I didn't really buy the whole mystery thing. I think I think you know I I do see the point of um, the the deaths and how Kirk kind of. Be- you know they they keep dying and he doesn't seem they don't really see acknowledge that point and so there's no real repercussion from that I can see that issue I think most of the other stuff I feel like for me it's it's satisfying enough with with you know Kirk's development and what happens there and that clearly this is his what happened historically imprinted on him so much that he's we see we see how he's reacting and that's interesting and see where he goes from there and then when the the revelation that well you know I never could have done something to begin with and then he passes on to the guy I think all those things for me help me overlook some of the um, some of the inconsistencies and so forth on the most part for me you know his his not reacting more to the red shirt deaths in this episode works because I mean it's called obsession his he's driven by regrets he had for other people's that, that regrets he has that he feels caused you know his original crew's death so he's driven by his reaction to colleagues death so there is something in there but the fact that he's obsessed is causing him to, ha- him to have to 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 do things he shouldn't be doing, you know, to do some things wrong. And one of those is, you know, his obsession is making him overlook the safety of his crew. And that's, and you know, that's reckless. And I think he comes to realize that. But he doesn't do anything about it. Well, he, I think he gets to the point where he feels like he needs to destroy this creature to make those deaths uh, worthwhile and mean, you know, give them some meaning and closure. So he starts, he gets to a point where he kind of disconnects that a little bit. And that's, that's a good thing. You know, when he, when he brings Garavik down to the planet and he says, you know, I'm going to destroy this, but I'm not planning to sacrifice myself. And I'm certainly not going to sacrifice you there. That to me shows that his obsession, that he's kind of gotten through that obsession and he's now not being so reckless, you know? You know, something I really liked in this was the scene where uh, Spock and McCoy come in and then he's talking about them ganging up on him, kind of. And I like how it's not really clear cut, right? I mean, they have they have their their point is to go in there and say, like, OK, you know, I've got to we've got to evaluate. Are you are you going off the tracks here? What's happening? And he makes a totally convincing, you know, he, but he's open to the conversation and they, they have this dialogue and I, I guess why I like it is because it seems like usually when you see these kinds of things in various incarnations of Trek, it's it's either um, one way or the other. It's like totally, no, I'm 
you know, here's what I feel strongly about and here's the justification, that's it. Or it's the captain really has gone nuts and they need to do something about it, you know. And in this case, he's like, he's listening to them. He's not happy. He's not fully come to terms with where he is, but um, they have a, this dialogue with the three of them and I like that. Yeah, it's like he, he respects them too much to gloss over it, even though he doesn't get that at mm-hmm. that moment, you know. And, you know, McCoy and Spock obviously respect him so much that they've come to speak with him. They didn't just unilaterally, yeah. uh, you know, take over or something. And the result of that scene is not so much that Kirk makes a change, it's that McCoy and Spock decide to give him some more time. Right, right. It is fun. Have we ever heard prior to this episode that that Kirk was with the Farragut? I don't think so. Don't so, think so this episode certainly gives us some fun, you know, Star Trek mm-hmm. history stuff. When I, I was at uh, WonderCon in Anaheim last weekend, mm-hmm. I went to the panel that had um, Scott Manns and, uh, yes, Mark Altman. So Mark Altman, Scott Manns, and Darren Docterman. Mm-hmm. I got that new uh, the motion picture vinyl they put out that Doctorman did the art for. It's amazing. Mm. Uh, anyway, uh, the, one of the first things, um, it's clear that Mark Altman isn't actually all that excited about uh, Discovery because mm-hmm. he, I think he thinks that it's going to be fan service. Right. But Scott Manns, one of the first things he said was, as soon as I heard when it was taking place, you know, 10 years for Kirk and Spock, I called... I called Mark and I said, oh my God, I'm so excited. They're going to be flying around. Maybe we'll see the Farragut. Maybe we'll see Kirk on the Farragut. Yeah, you know, it's it's cool. This episode gives us this this Star Trek history. So that's fun. Uh, What is this episode about, gentlemen? Obsession. (laughs) Yeah, I think think, uh, pretty succinctly the title, you know, obviously... There's a lot of nuances to this notion, a lot of pitfalls. Um, fortunately for Kirk, um, he learned a lesson, I think, from this obsession, and he and he got some, uh, he healed a bit from his past issues, um, which is which is unlike Moby Dick. You know, he didn't die trying. He he got something out of this, and uh, hopefully passed on some lessons to the next generation as well. So, Adam. Sounds good to me. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I, I really didn't like this episode, so I don't want to say any much, much, much more. So, Sorry, guys. That's okay. It won't be, it won't, it won't be in my, on my list to rewatch. <laughs> All right. Let's do Six Degrees for Obsession. What, do you guys remember those, those VHS collections I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Do you remember the one that I'm talking about specifically? Because I can picture it. Vaguely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Vaguely. Yeah. All right. Uh, six degrees for obsession. Adam, are you going first or second? I'll go first. Jerry Aries plays Rizzo, the red shirt that has the decency to stay alive in sick bay just long enough to confirm Kirk's suspicions about the cloud. In the original series' first season, he played a different red shirt, O'Hurley. When O'Hurley's away team, which includes Kirk and Spock, beamed down to Cestus Three. They discover what's left of the colony. What species has destroyed the colony on Cestus III? Um, is it the Gorns? Very good, the Gorn. Steve, mm-hmm. <laughs> I couldn't help but ask this. Um, sorry. Basil Polidorus plays the red shirt named Bardoli. 
Balsel was an amazing film composer. Name one of the Paul Verhoeven movies he scored. I love these scores. They're so good. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know, man. Adam? I don't know. Robocop or Starship Troopers? I'd be darn. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I think he also did uh, Conan the Barbarian. Remember all that great percussion? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, good scores. Very good scores. He was actually an extra in a couple of extra episodes. He did, he did or played a red shirt in a couple of episodes of the original series. I think he was buddies with Gene Kuhn or something. I don't hmm. know. Okay. Uh, so Adam has one. Steve does not. We are moving on. Wolf in the Fold, Season 2, Episode 14, Production Code 036. Original air date, December 22nd, 1967. Directed by Joseph Pevney, written by Robert Block, music composed by Gerald Freed. Guest cast include John Winston as Lieutenant Kyle, John Fiedler as Administrator Hingist, Charles McCauley as Prefect Jarris, Pillar Surratt as Cybo, Joseph Bernard as Tark, Charles Deerkop as Morla, Tanya Lemani as Kara, Judy McConnell as Yeoman Tankris, Virginia Aldrich as Lieutenant Karen Tracy, Judy Shervin as Nurse, Eddie Paskey as Lieutenant Leslie, and William Blackburn as Lieutenant Hadley. Kirk McCoy and Scotty beam down to Argalius 2 for some therapeutic shore leave focused on Mr. Scott, who is recovering from a concussion caused by an explosion in the engineering room. Scotty is picked up by Kara, an attractive Argalian dancer, and leaves the club with her. Kirk and McCoy make their way to another club when they hear a scream. Upon investigating, they find Kara dead on the ground and Scotty standing in a state of shock against a wall, clutching a bloody knife. It's not promising, Captain. Mr. Scott insists he remembers nothing, but my detector readings indicate that only his fingerprints are in the murder weapon. Yes, Mr. Hengus, there were other people in the cafe about the time of the murder. Several of them left just before Mr. Scott and the girl did. Uh, So I've been informed by the staff. Uh, They're being located and we will question them. But uh, the outlook for your friend is quite grim. What is the law in these cases? The law of Argelius is love. All right, Wolf in the Fold, an episode that is occasionally ordinary, but frequently (laughs) bat nutty (laughs) to me. (laughs) All right, uh, Adam, why don't you kick us off on Wolf in the Fold? Um... (laughs) Aside the, you know, maybe we'll have this little conversation in the if, if discuss whether this is this episode's a little sexist or not, especially in the beginning. I don't know. I, the first time when I'm watching the tease, I'm like, oh, it's Kirk getting Scotty a lap dance. So that's just what it seems like they were at a, a club just for that. Well, it, it's not sexist at all. They're doing that because um, Scott currently has a total resentment of women. women yes. Something right. <laughs> yeah, because, because I guess uh, somebody caused him to get the concussion. So I don't know. That felt a, a little sexist to me. But to, let's get past that. I, I kind of like this episode up until the conclusion. Once, um, you know, Jack the Ripper is, in, is involved in this episode. It just kind of gets goofy for me and kind of goes off the off the rails, but I kind of enjoyed the you know the mystery who done it aspect of that up until the you know like I said the conclusion of this episode. Well, there's one thing I do enjoy about this episode. It's one of the few times where Scott is almost the almost the focus, almost almost a regular. You know what I mean? Like right, right. he's not quite Kirk Spock, but he's he's as close as he ever gets. You know, in this episode, and that only happens maybe once or twice, and I've always enjoyed that about it. 
Uh, Steve, what are some of your first thoughts on Wolf in the Fold? Yeah, I think this is one of these that um, I, I liked better in the past. I think in the past I remember it as, okay, so it's kind of cute that Jack the Ripper is an alien and he traveled out in the galaxy and there's a bit of a mystery to solve and I think that's all fine but I think now just the whole misogynistic business is just so powerful it's hard for me I mean I don't detest the episode or anything but that combined with there are times when it just moves so slowly the the whole investigation thing where they're all in the room just seems like it drags on and on and on forever and uh, uh, that would be the scene when Spock says women are more easily terrified <laughs> that, for example, yeah, I mean that, yeah, I mean you know you got you got that you got the you always already mentioned that he's on leave because he got hit in the head and because a woman was involved he hates women it's it's ridiculous I mean it's like like why is it why isn't it that the person that caused it is has green eyes so he hates everyone with green I mean it's totally arbitrary and so obviously their focus being on. Uh, on, on because it was a woman, it you know, it, come on, it's sexist, misogynistic. Okay, but I, I get it's the '60s. You know, we have that. It's just it's so all the time throughout this episode. It feels like, and then that combined with it, just, the pace, it, it seems to just be like you kind of fall asleep. You know, I mean, I, I don't hate it. I, I mean, it, it's Trek. I always remember this episode. There are things I like about it, but um, yeah, it's got a lot of issues. I agree that the traveling. Jack the Ripper entity killer thing is a cool idea. I, I we've certainly maybe seen that sort of thing in subsequent treks. Yeah, but uh, it was new here. I don't think it just it just didn't translate very well. You know, yeah. they kind of felt rushed there at the end, and it, you know, you had him, you know, la- and it just kind of just. It, uh, I'm. I kind of. I agree with you, Brian. I don't. I don't have a problem with the idea. I just kind of have a problem with the execution. We haven't even mentioned the. Uh, <laughs> give Give everybody on the bridge drugs so they don't get scared. <laughs> I mean, I think that's going to create other problems. You know, just <laughs> tranquilize the whole crew. It's nuts. Oh, but you know, don't, don't fly the ship too fast since yeah. you're high. Right, just, right. Know, maybe back off a little. So, I mean, yeah. Sulu's still at the helm, and he's acting like he's acting. I was like, oh, wow, you know, and he's still, okay, let's leave him there. He's still operating. But And, of course, Kirk and Spock are just too cool. I mean, they don't know, need to it. take it. No, I mean, no. Spock, I get it, but Kirk. But, uh, and then, of course, one of the best Who's That Guy moments ever. You got, you got this sound guy that sounds, I don't know, I, I always think he sounds a little bit like Winnie the Pooh or something, you know. <laughs> and and then and then when they go and then when they go to the fight scene, it turns into Vin Diesel or whatever <laughs> and running around the room. <laughs> and, and he's got this terrible, terrible, terrible wig. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, if I saw a guy with that wig, I would beam him into space as well. Right, right. Yeah. Adam. I said he, he laid a nice kick into Kirk. There was some, you know, fun. Oh yeah, yeah. Got some skills. Well, earlier it's it's funny because Kirk punches him like one time and he drops dead. Right. Yeah. One punch man or whatever that's called. And there's also the good old trusty psycho tricorder. Oh boy. Yeah. That was kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, one kind of, that one kind of breaks. That one. There's a reason I don't recall ever seeing that again. Right. Yeah. Hey, these things are not limited to the 1960s. You know, let's let's not forget our favorite. Star Trek DS9 had that amazing um, on the bridge of the Defiant holographic communicator thing where mm-hmm. the guy was just standing there. Yeah. yeah, Whatever that was called. That lasted all of a couple of episodes before they got, we never saw that again. Yeah. So, you know, Psycho Tricorder. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think they just threw that in there to move the plot along because they didn't couldn't think of anything better. The investigation that that long scene when they're using the computer to kind of investigate it um, was one of those moments where the original series is different from the other the subsequent episodes. You know, you imagine in say the '60s there was a fascination with the computer yeah. to the average person in a way that there wouldn't be today. Uh, because the average person in the 60s probably wasn't dealing with an actual computer mm-hmm. in their daily life. Uh, and and the original series has so many episodes where they kind of rely on the computer to do their... I mean, it's not like they're just their computer's just spitting out an answer, but, you know, the computer's doing more of the work than our crew in that scene. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that... I don't know. It makes it makes it less interesting to watch, you know. Mm-hmm. Once they've once they've kind of reached their conclusions about oh, it's Jack the Ripper and it's been heading in this this like geographic direction and you know on its and oh look, uh, little guys from Rajafor. Okay, that's when it kind of becomes kind of interesting to me. But up until then, I felt a lot like I was just watching a computer figure something out, mm-hmm. which is probably like watching someone read a book. <laughs> right. Yeah, and we've seen this kind of thing before, and it's one of those things that's indicative of the era it's in. You know, they people think of computers as, I don't know, uh, analytical thinking machines. I mean, you know, we today, that's why when we see people just using it as a tool for information, that's intuitive for us. That feels right. And back then, they didn't have a feel for where it was going to go. And so they guessed wrong. They guessed that instead, you're going to be asking a computer, so tell me, um, hypothetically, let's discuss some weird situation and you spit out the answer to what, you know, something that's a reasoning, philosophical, analytical thing, which in reality is not what we think of computers being, you know, computers doing and being their strong suit or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, but we've seen, I think we've seen the original series do this a few times where they say, hypothetically, computer, let's, some scenario, how would it know that? You know, it, it's, anyway, it's, it's odd. I, I was sending somebody an attachment. My new job, I, I have to work in Windows and Outlook, which I never used before. And I was send, sending an email with an attachment and Windows came up and uh, said, this looks like you might mean to have, you might meant to have included an attachment. Do you still want to send this email anyway? I was like, oh my god, how did it know that I forgot to include the attachment? <laughs> like, how did it know this? Oh my god! So I had to look it up. So it, yeah, there's some kind of thing where if it sees the word attached in your email uh, and there's nothing sure. attached, it gives you a warning. Anyway, <laughs> it really freaked me out for a minute though. <laughs> yeah, like the psychotric quarter, it, you know, it breaks everything. So. Yeah, yeah. Ignore that. In the same way that you know, hey, I gave you a DS9 example. How about how about uh, Star Trek Into Darkness? I don't think we're going to get miracle blood cures anymore anytime <laughs> soon. Right. <laughs> but you know, the prefect's wife has some kind of um, ESP mental power thing that she's going to like. That's okay. We can handle that because we think well, they're an alien and they can have weird powers. <laughs> can right. Mind meld. Fine. You know. But it's when our own crew has their trusty psycho tricorder that we're given we have a moment of pause and speaking of computers we have a little bit of a talking the computer to death thing i mean it's not really talking it to death it's the enterprise computer but it's the whole let's give it a complex math problem and occupy it thing which doesn't make a great deal of sense yeah uh so what is this episode about if not the value of pi (laughs) (laughs) um kind of the only thing i could come up with is like um just you know not everything appears to 
be what it's seen to be. I don't know. It might be kind of a stretch. Yeah, it's hard to. It's kind of hard to come up with something here. I mean, because it's. I mean, you know, the episode's a murder mystery type episode. Um, and by the nature of it, it's got. It has to be a little bit of a. Um, a twist, you know, like it obviously can't just be Scotty killing people, you know, so. Innocent until proven guilty? I don't know. Yeah, it's just kind of a little bit. Of, uh, that's the only thing that I kind of think of is just like, you know, just, yeah, you have to take all the evidence in, not, not just what you see. Steve? Yeah, I don't really have much to expand on that, I'm afraid. It's. All right, well, let's do six degrees yeah. so we can get to our last episode of the day, which I'm sure we all love. <laughs> <laughs> Six degrees for Wolf in the fold. Adam has one. Steve, are you going first or second? I'll go first. Charles Macaulay, Macaulay plays Prefect Jarus, the prefect that does not take the day off when his wife is murdered right in front of him. He's a dedicated civil servant. In the original series, first season, he played the man and machine that lead the body in The Return of the Archons. Name this leader he played. Hmm. Who is it they are constantly referencing? Uh, Landru? That is correct, Landrew. Adam, John Fiedler plays Mr. Hengist, or should I say Jack the Ripper. He was probably most famous for providing the voice for what Winnie the Pooh character, which is, I'm sure, the reason why oh, he yeah. made Steve think of Winnie the Pooh. Oh, yeah, now it's coming back to me, yeah. But, Adam, do you know what uh, character he was famous for playing? Uh, Tigger? Nope. Got it. Imagine his voice. I guess you didn't watch Winnie the Pooh like, <laughs> like me. Uh, Steve, do you know? Is it uh, Piglet? You're correct. It was Piglet. <laughs> you know, he kind of looks like Piglet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, Doesn't he? His inspiration must be a bit <laughs> yeah. <for> the Disney's <laughs> version. <laughs> All right, moving on. The Trouble with Tribbles, Season 2, Episode 15, Production Code 042. Original air date, December 29th, 1967. Directed by Joseph Pevney, written by David Gerald, music composed by Jerry Fiedling. Guest cast include William Schallert as Undersecretary Niles Barris, William Campbell as Captain Koloth, Stanley Adams as Cyrano Jones, Whit Bizzle as Station Manager Lurie, Michael Pataki as Korax, Ed Reimers as Admiral Fitzpatrick, Charlie Brill as Arn Darvin, Paul Baxley as Ensign Freeman, David L. Ross as Guard, and Guy Raymond as Traitor. <laughs> The Enterprise is called to Deep Space Station K-7 by a distress call. It is near Sherman's planet, a world whose ownership is under dispute between the Federation and the Klingon Empire. On arrival, Kirk becomes furious when he finds out the reason for the distress call, which was made by Nazel Barris, the Undersecretary of Adri- Agriculture for the sector. Barris wants someone to guard the shipments of quadriceteline grain bound for Sherman's planet. Meanwhile, an independent trader, Cyrano Jones, arrives on the station with tribbles. He gives one to Lieutenant Yahura, who brings it on board the Enterprise, where it is quickly produces offspring and are treated as adorable pets. And after they said all this, that's when you hit the Klingons. No, sir. No. No, uh, I didn't. You told us to avoid trouble. Oh, yes. And I didn't see that it was worth fighting about. After all, we're big enough to take a few insults, aren't we? What was it they said that started the fight? They called the Enterprise a garbage skull. We all love this episode, I'm sure. 
I've seen this episode so many times. It's amazing that there are still moments that make me laugh. (laughs) That's phenomenal. That's incredible. Steve? What do you think of Trouble with Chibbles? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 one of these that feels kind of silly talking about. I don't know why. It's like it's like everybody knows everything about this, right? We've all seen it a million times, and there you go. I mean, you know, I just um, yeah, it's it's enjoyable. It's enjoyable every time. This is this is the episode. This is the only episode my um, niece and nephew have watched several years ago when they were probably I mean, they were probably like four and six at the time or something. I played it for them. It's the only start piece of Star Trek they've watched, and. Um, they really enjoyed it, you know, and um, it's just it's 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 fun. It's well balanced. It's iconic. The images from it. It's it's I don't know I don't know what else to say really. I mean, obviously we'll explore this, but you know, just kind of sum it up. It's it's it is Trek. Almost anyone who knows Star Trek would recognize certain things from this episode. Adam. Um. Yeah. I definitely agree with um. Agree with Steve and you guys. Um. Yeah. It's the. I mean, it's an iconic Star Trek episode. Obviously, um, it's been beloved throughout the years. You know, um, we were talking yada, about yada yada yada. Yeah, you know, we were talking. You know, DS Nine did a tribute episode to this episode. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, there's an animated episode. So definitely, all the you know everything that we could say about it's been said before. Some of the little things that I kind of noticed on rewatching it that I maybe didn't quite get before but kind of enjoyed a little bit now i enjoyed um the relationship between kirk and um Boris, the the agricultural secretary yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that just was, you know yeah, just how kirk just belittle belittles him the whole episode <laughs> um just those little things just to you know just poke and prod him the whole episode because um you know, I, I it was I had a hard time putting it in, into the description without making it like, you know, a minute speech but you know the reason Kirk obviously is so upset is because this guy uses a very uh, you know a distress call an emergency distress call to get the Enterprise there and so it basically pisses Kirk off and so the whole whole episode Kirk is just kind of you know undermining him and you know then this you know he's like the this Barris guy's like the teacher's pet he goes and tells on him to Starfleet so I don't know if I, I quite got that or remember that from watching it you know previous times but I, I kind of enjoyed that kind of just seeing that between the two of them. And I like the opening and uh, the stuff with Chekhov too, because Bakken is very little, you know, incident. a very little <laughs> joke. <laughs> a very little joke. What I love about that moment is just that it's like, this is going to be a comedy. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's great. The, it still makes me laugh every time, you know, at the very end of the episode when um, Kolos, the the Klingon commander, um, you know, he does the little. A little bow to Kirk at the end. I don't know if that was just improvised. I, I always wonder if that was improvised or that was just kind of you know, if that was um, in in the script or he was instead just to do this little you know um, submission bow to Kirk. But it all kind of makes cracks me up at the end there because you don't think about Klingon doing that, you know. Yeah, and of course they always talk about how he was it was intended for that to be a recurring character. And what's interesting about the relationship is it's clear that Kirk knows him too. I mean they know each other, you know, and so there's kind of that kind of creates this vibe of oh well, he has some history, you know, that's fun, you know. It's um so didn't you know the character Kolos in DS9 is to me is a lot different than um Sure, yeah. Than, I mean, than he is in that so you know, the older he gets the more, you know, quiet and you know grumpy he got i guess in the ds9 episode that he was in blood oath right mm-hmm. i always enjoy the the bar fight it's one of the few times where there's yeah. 
a fight sequence in the original series that still kind of holds up in an interesting way to me. I mean, there, there was not a moment, you know, we've, we've obviously we we're, we love this show, but we've had our, we've had bits of fun, you know, making fun a little bit here and there of some of the funny fight things they've done with Kurt's, Kirk's funny sideways hits and body yeah. hits or whatever. But, yeah. but the fight sequence, the bar fight in this is actually pretty good. It's pretty yeah. fun. I think it's still really fun to watch. It goes on for a while, but it never bothers me. And even during the whole thing, there's, there's, there's still these funny gags in there. When like when it cuts to, uh, Cyrano Jones, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's getting his drink, and there's the whole bit at the end. It, it's almost, almost like I don't know, vaudeville or something. Mm-hmm. But it's it's fun, and I've always really enjoyed that, and I still do. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you know, the 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 lineup with Kirk, who started the fight. Yeah. Somehow that was one of the most always has always been one of the most memorable memorable moments, not just of this episode, but of the entire series for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, you know, we talked about this before. I, I actually watched the, um, the DS nine, I watched the DS nine episode back to back and, um, you know, and you may not, you know, if you ever watch this episode, you may not realize how important this episode is to the Klingons. Mm-hmm. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't get this from watching this episode, but if you watch the DS nine episode where they do the tribute to this, you get that funny scene in the bar with um, Worf and everybody's like going Klingons. And then basically, I think it's um, Dr. Brashear basically gives the whole, you know, the thesis for the episodes that they do in Enterprise about how, how the Klingons, you know, are more human looking, obviously, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. this episode. So, you know, this episode brought about all that kind of like back, backstory to um, to the Klingons. It's just the, it's just the texture of it went, you know, I don't know, it was just int- cool, to, cool to me to see how much, how classic and great this episode is, but how much it's influenced um, Star Trek beyond just, you know, being this great episode. Oh, you meant beyond being this great episode, not how much it's influenced Star Trek beyond. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. The end, the little, the joke at the end, the little coda, the tag thing at the end is one of the, Actually, I was just talking. It was our last podcast. There was one that I really enjoyed, right? Um, Journey to uh, Babel. Oh, right. I like the tag in that yeah. one. You know what? I like the tag in this one. Mm-hmm. It makes me laugh out loud whenever nobody wants to own up to what they did with the triples. Yeah, that's pretty funny. You know, it's 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 kind of it's easy to overlook how hard it is to write comedy that you know within the context of a show like this because we it is it is mostly a comedy all the way through right but you don't feel it's ridiculous you don't feel like it's like a farcical like let's just lay over some kind of comedy template on star trek right i mean it feels natural just feels like a whole lot of bizarre funny circumstances and everyone's still in character you know so it's 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 you know i think it's it's easy to take for granted how difficult it is to pull that off i mean it's it's so well done that if everyone stays everyone it still feels like the show it's just it's it's mostly humorous you know i mean it's such a short list right yeah for episodes there's this one and there's ds9's looking for parmak in all the wrong places I don't know that there's any other episodes that are just flat-out comedies yeah, besides yeah, those two. True. Both of those two... I would, I would add, what was it, um, Next Gen, where they go to to Nottingham? 
That's a curious. Oh movie. right, right. The um, <laughs> the, I think it's. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if it's a good episode, but it, I think they tried to make that comical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that one that feels more like, you know, it has comedic moments, but I never think of it as a comedy episode in the way that I gotcha. do just these two. And I would also add, it's borderline, but maybe the voyage home, which you know, I don't know, three quarters of it is the fish out of water jokes. Right. Right. You know, it's borderline. It certainly has its bookend in, in it's a lot more serious, but these are the, these are the three examples that, that do this beautiful balancing act. Like you were talking about Steve, where it never, it always, it still feels like Star Trek and it never, but it never feels absurd. And it never feels like we're doing anything with our characters. That's, that's out of line Mm -hmm. just by the sheer, lack of that you know you're talking about three pieces out of over 700 (laughs) episodes or movies Uh, obviously that is incredibly difficult and there's also a lot of pushback you know Um, I don't think Roddenberry liked this episode I don't think he liked the idea of comedy you know uh, Gene Kuhn got it He, he was big on this episode if it wouldn't have been if it hadn't been for Gene Kuhn I don't know that um David Gerald's script would have gone anywhere. Right. But there's there's a you're you're fighting a bit of a for you know okay if we look at looking for Parmok in all the wrong places that was the one show of of um, next gen DS9 and Voyager and Enterprise that uh, Rick Berman had you know was the least hands on. You know th- there is there is uh, an instinct almost to not do comedy in Star Trek when it's this much like, you know, flat out comedy. Mm-hmm. I guess I, there's a sense that I agree with that. I mean, none of us would like it if they said they're going to do a whole comedy series. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you remember, but uh, near the end when George Lucas still owned Star Wars, that was supposed to happen. There was supposed to be a flat out Star Wars comedy series. They announced it. Seth Green was like gonna, was producing it or something. I think it was the robot chicken guys or something. But they they announced that and everything. I mean, it got discarded once uh, he sold Lucasfilm to Disney. But the reaction to that was <laughs> pretty telling. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not saying I want like a whole series. But I do wish they would try it more. Because trouble with troubles, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. How do you guys feel about that as a concept? Do you think they've got, they've had kind of the right balance? Should it be this, you know, once in a generation Kind of thing. I don't know about that infrequent, but um, it probably has to be a fairly rare phenomenon, just given the tone. You know. Do you think that uh, it, this sort of thing is even tougher to get by in modern audiences? Like, I'm I'm imagining Discovery. The little they've told us about it is this gritty, super serialized thing. You know, it's hard to imagine a lot of comedy in that. Right. Yeah, I I hear you. I mean, I think it's hard. It it, it would be it'd be even it'd certainly be rare. I mean, it'd, it'd be the same kind of thing. I mean, I think like, if you think of kind of the, um, like, like Breaking Bad, like that series, I mean, what did they have? One, two episodes that felt this is supposed to be comic most of the way through. I mean, it was very rare and that's kind of the iconic template of this generation, yeah. you know, or whatever of TV. No, and you kind of have to establish your characters too. I mean, I don't think, um, yeah, you have to wait. Yeah. You have to be into it. A little I mean, you know, I don't think Tribbles would have worked as well on the first season as it does in the second mm-hmm. season. Um, just because, you, you know, you have to make that... Because it just seems weird. Like, what are they trying to do um, when you don't have the established characters? 
Um, as far as, you know, if you were asking the question, like, you know, what if they, are you, were you trying to ask the question, would, how would we feel about like a Star Trek comedy series? Is that what you were saying, Brian? Well, that, and also, you know, do you think it would be appropriate? Would you want it? And would it be appropriate for like discovery to have more comedy? Um, I, I mean, I don't know. It's hard for me to say about Discovery. Would you? Are you asking if I would like to see a Star Trek comedy series? No, I think that's um, you leave that in the hands of um, parody. I think it works a lot better. I just don't. I don't think it would work. Galaxy Quest. Well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it just works a lot better in that format um, than, than I think they would trying to actually do a comedy Star Trek series because I don't think anybody would. I don't know how that would work. Um, well, I think it's too limiting. You yeah, know, it's too limiting to the, the we're just we're just and maybe some of it's we're used to the tone of how these the series. I mean, there's there's a lot of variety in in what we've seen, you know, with all these different series and movies and so on and so forth. But I think it, that somehow that would be limiting for the primary focus to be comedy. I mean, just that just doesn't seem right. And you know, and I think um, you know, I think all the series struck a balance with um, comical moments. You know, I mean. I think we would all agree that Picard and Data were both very dramatic and serious characters for the most part in Next Generations, but some of the funniest moments in Next Gen involved Data and Picard's mm -hmm. interactions, um, and the same could be said between Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Very serious characters, but some of the most the funniest moments are are them interacting with each other. I think what DePaul, we thought, was the funniest character mm -hmm. in Enterprise, um, so... I think it works, but I, I, you know, it works far better that way. It's, you know, I think we're kind of saying, you know, for anybody who's out there who's just first starting to watch Star Trek, you know, there are, it, there are comical moments throughout the series that they just pick the right times. To, for the most part, they pick the right times to do it. Um, I think there's a third season episode that I don't think is supposed to be a comedy. I don't know. I can't I don't remember the name of the episode, but it makes me laugh. Spock's Brain? Um, it might be Spock's Brain, but there's another one where I think it's the episode where Kirk and Aurora kiss. And um, all right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a ridiculous episode, and I, I, it's terrible, but it makes me laugh out loud. Like children. Yeah. Yeah. Um. All right. So I'm going to bring this back up again uh, at the end of our podcast when we talk about the most recent casting news for Discovery. Uh, but before that, uh, what is Trouble with Tribbles about? Trouble with Tribbles is um. Do you want to start, Steve? <laughs> no, let me give it some thought here. <laughs> well, this could always be one of the, the rare exception where a, an episode is outstanding. Yeah, because I don't really know what they're tr they're trying to say. There's not a you know there's not a moral point to the story. I mean, I guess you could say it's. Um, mm. Well, it's we've talked we've had stuff where we. It's, looks are deceiving or whatever you've yeah, got yeah yeah well, I mean, you've got the cute tribbles that are actually a lot of trouble and you've got uh the klingon posing as a human and but that's kind of reaching what do you think that it's about brian well i just gave you something I, i'm trying to kickstart it <laughs> <for you. laughs> um there's a i mean i found it interesting you know this being a show in the 60s and um there were there was a lot of humanity for the tribbles 
Um, I kept, I watched pretty closely. I kept expecting Kirk to throw one or at least kick, kick a few, but he never did. And, you know, at the end of the episode, you know, they were like, um, I just have this image now of him, like holding it with two hands yeah, out yeah. in front of him and just drop kicking it. Yeah. Like, I'm saying <laughs> things on the bridge. All right, there you go. You know, I kind of, like I said, I have expected him to, to do that at some point. I mean, even, even when he's trying to open the door, he's like cradling one of them. And so I, I know this is like an incredible stretch and he, he's even concerned at the end of the episode that that um, um, Scotty beamed them out into open space. So, um, you know, he's a he's a humanitarian. He didn't want anybody to be cruel to these little pesky things. So, which I found that unusual for, you know, a 60s-style show. I mean, you know, the, the last episode we just watched was very misogynistic and, you know. Yeah, I mean, in a, in a way, that is a, a theme running through this. I mean, it's the... It, it you know it's it's like Spock has the comment about you know like li- they're li- lilies of the field they you know they um, don't toil but take up resources this kind of idea yet you know they're they're the center of this episode they they help to solve a mystery just their presence you know I mean yeah it, it is it is kind of indirect and in how do you, where do you go with this but it's it, it is uh, the notion that you know, life itself is complex. I mean, there's a lot of, we, you could argue that what's the point of triples even existing? Well, it is life, you know, and uh, so we we accept that, we cherish that, and it's it has its value regardless. And I think, I think yeah, yeah, you're right. I think that it, what is unusual is you'd think of maybe in this era you wouldn't see that kind of consideration so much, but, you know, they don't, they didn't waver from that. It, it did matter, and... um. I don't know, maybe in, in almost a subconscious way that that makes us feel better about this episode and makes it one of the reasons it's such a cherished episode. I'm not sure. All right, let's do six degrees, six degrees for the trouble with troubles. Uh, what is our score? I forget. I think it's two to one, Steve. Two to one, Steve. Yes, two to one, Steve. Uh, Steve, are you going first or second? I'll go first. William Schallert plays... Niles Barris, the government type that keeps getting on Kirk's nerves. In DS9's second season, he played the Bajoran musician Varani in the episode Sanctuary. Varani asks Kira to help him convince the provisional government to do what? Uh, yeah. As long as you're close, I don't need the exact name thing. Uh-huh. Jeez. God, yeah. See, I'm trying to make them a little harder. No, it's mm-hmm. good. It's good. I mean, I I remember this, the for some reason the exact detail I'm kind of blanking on here. Um, I'm sorry. I'm just I'm just blanking. Adam, is it to uh, kick Starfleet out? No, I, I it's not worth a point. But he he does. His personal opinion, if I recall, is something along the lines of he doesn't think Bejar should be in the Federation, maybe. But no, what he he's my my question was uh, he asked Kira to help him convince the provisional government to do what, and the answer to that is rebuild the Jalandra Forum, which was a like I don't know, like an opera house or like a, a place where they performed music. Oh, okay, okay. So I wouldn't you didn't need to say that exact mm-hmm. uh, name, but hmm, okay. Um, in fact, I think as a gift he gives somebody, maybe one of the governmental people, like a recording of him playing at the Jalandra Forum before it was screwed up by the Cardassians. Okay, uh, Adam Michael Pataki plays Carax, the Klingon that believes the Enterprise should be hauled away as garbage. He played Karnas 
in Next Gen's first season in the episode Too Short a Season. Karnas plans to kill Admiral Jameson, but he doesn't have to because something else kills Jameson. What? Um, he's got that, um, uh, the disease, I don't remember what the name of the disease, he's got some sort of illness that's killing him. Um, well, no, he, well, he, didn't he ejected himself to make himself younger, yes, and then that killed him? The de-aging drug. The de-aging drug. All right, two to two, tie for the day, right? Mm-hmm. Sounds good. All right. Okay, very quickly. So this is funny, because I don't know if you guys remember, but, um... And, and uh, we had a tweet to uh, at that Penske file. He <laughs> he sent a tweet. Uh, enjoyed at Trek Companion joking about the muds being in Discovery in their podcast for iMud. <laughs> uh, yeah, so if you remember uh, that podcast where we talked about iMud, we were really having a laugh about. <laughs> now, we, partially it was we were talking about both of them would be on it. Like, uh, right. I, I think they could sit something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's not like we were completely morons. <laughs> but sure enough, uh, Friday of last week, they announced Rain Wilson has been cast as Harry Mudd. Now, if they had announced that one day later, I would not have believed it. Right, right. Right? It would have, I would have thought it was... I honestly pulled out my phone and checked the calendar date. <laughs> is, it April, is it April 1st? I did not believe it at first. So, uh, with that knowledge, do you, does this change your opinion in any about um, comedy on Discovery? Because all we've heard, Sonequa Martin-Green, even they officially announced her as the as the lead, and she's made comments about that it's you know it's going to be a grittier show and stuff. Do you think they could have Harry Mudd and it not be comedic? Well, we don't know to what extent. He could be like uh, one episode, take some part in or something too. Was so it going to be like a, I mean, I, did, I read about, is he just going to be a recurring character? He's not going to be a like cast. I, I don't think so. I don't think it's a cast member. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, possibly just kind of like a reoccurring role here and there. So, I mean, I, I think both can happen. It can be a grittier and kind of more dark show and still have um, occasional um, yeah. lighthearted moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you. Yeah, I think so. Steve is such a nutty Office fan. Are you? Are yeah, you that was fun. Yeah, <laughs> how awesome was that? Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I always remember the one time, or maybe it was a couple times that you came to Comic Con. One of those times, you waited in a pretty lengthy line to get in there to see the Office cast, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I remember that. Cool to see him. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. I'm excited. Yeah, pretty darn excited. This is the year. Okay, folks, uh, let's see. You can follow us on Twitter. That's at Trek Companion. Our uh, Facebook listener page is facebook.com slash Trek Companion. You can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. I am excited to talk three more episodes two weeks from now. And thank you for spending an hour with us. And until next time, take it easy. Bye, guys. See ya. I passed it.